Welcome to the Melbourne Business School podcast, where we answer the biggest questions in business today and explore the latest research. I'm your host, Yasmin Rupersinger. Burak Ok is an Associate Professor of Organisational Behaviour at Melbourne Business School, whose latest research shows how displaying humility as a leader can boost team productivity. Professor Ock found that a leader who displays humility can improve someone's confidence and allow them to express who they truly are, making them feel less vulnerable in the workplace and in workplace relationships. A happy employee is a productive employee, as the saying goes, and Professor Ock is here to tell us about his research and what leaders can do to achieve authentic humility. Barack, what does humility look like in a leader? Well, thank you, um, Yasmin, for having me. Um, it's, it's a great question, uh, not an easy one to answer because it actually depends on where you are in the world. Um, the initial work that has been done on leader humility is conducted in the Western part of the world and to be, to be more specific in, in US. And, um, our lovely humility colleagues, what they have found is, is, Irrespective of whether or not you're a humble person, if you do at least three things in organizations, people kind of perceive you as a, as a humble leader. What are those three things? It's just putting an effort to understand, um, to have kind of this accurate view of yourself. What are the, the pluses and minuses about, about the person you are? And that involves like acknowledging that you're only human and you can make mistakes too. Another component goes to that, recognizing other people's strengths and achievements. So it's not all about you, but it's also, hey, you know what? I have these great people that I work with and you give them the credit when it is due. And the third thing is kind of like these um, people or those people who come across as humble are the ones who model teachability or they basically put an effort to understand and learn and grow as, as individuals. So this is kind of, in a nutshell, the three things that people frequently do or leaders frequently do in the Western part of the world that make other people perceive them as humble, irrespective of who you are. If you just basically engage in this type of behaviors, people perceive you as more humble than others. But it doesn't end there. Frequently, um, when we focus on certain concepts, try to understand how as, as unique individuals we perceive people around us or the world that we interact with, where we come from plays an important role, largely because our world experiences or experiences in life shape the way we um, label people, things, our experiences. So while the Western conceptualization has the three behaviors, if you like, that helps um, people to call a leader, hey, if you do these things, I'll call you a humble leader. The people in the Eastern part of the world require a little bit more than those three dimensions. And in particular, if you, if you're a leader in the Eastern part of the world and to be again more specific in Southeast Asia, um, then the people perceive you as a humble leader. If you, for instance, lead by examples, um, instead of you asking your, um, subordinates to prepare a PowerPoint presentation, you actually sit together with them and prepare that presentation together, for instance. You show modesty, you work together with them. It's you're kind of like a part of the team rather than you're on top of them and they're actually, in, in, in terms of hierarchical levels, they're below you. 
rather than having that formality, you're just kind of like closer to them. You show empathy, you're more approachable, um, you show respect, as well as you mentor and coach them. So it's just, when we talk about humility, that concept of what makes you be perceived as more humble is a richer concept in the Eastern part of the world. And one unique difference, again, between West and East is bringing you back, having an accurate view of self, recognizing other people's strengths and, and achievements, modeling teachability. Those are the kind of the behaviors that are very much related to the task nature of leadership. We call that like task-oriented leadership. Whereas Eastern side of the, the world, people associate humility with more people orientation, such as mentoring, coaching, being approachable, showing empathy. So it's, it's very interesting the way that what comes across as humble differs depending on where you are in the world. Does it help? Yeah, it really does. What a great introduction. But can you tell me why then is it so important to be humble as a leader? So again, this is another interesting part, but it's it's not going to come across as surprising to you probably because most of the research, interestingly, although humility is a concept that comes from um, the old learnings in China, most of the research is done in Western part of the world again. And what that research has demonstrated in particular um, empirical findings um, largely driven by research conducted in, our, in work settings, demonstrated that when those teams that do have humble leaders or those teams who work with leaders who express or display humility, they not only learn better, they manage themselves better, they're more resilient and better deal with adversities, and they're more likely to innovate. But again, there is the part that is interesting here is, again, if you recall when I was talking about that distinction between how Westerners and Easterners define humility, perhaps the outcome variables that I associate with humility in the Western part of the world, they're very much about, again, getting the job done. Whereas in my research, um, what we demonstrated is, Hey, just wait. It's not everything about the task. It's not about, it's not everything about getting the job done. What, what we had found in our research was, in addition to all these great benefits of, um, humility, in particular on the way that the teams function and, and perform, what we found is, when you work with a humble leader, that might have great positive benefits on your well-being. And that is, again, the human side of humility rather than the task side of humility, right? And what we did specifically found was um, those individuals who work with humble leaders or those leaders who express humility again, they feel less vulnerable in their relationships with that leaders, meaning that, hey, with a humble leader, that leader is not going to hurt me. So I can, I can feel safe in that relationship, in my relationship with that leader, which then translated into me being able to act consistent with my true self. And this is what we define as authenticity. And authenticity is one of the, if not the most important factors for um, working adults, working individuals' um, well-being. It's one thing for leaders to know they should be humble, but how can they make sure they're perceived as authentic? Great question. And this was, again, one of the points that we were trying to address in our research. We actually asked this question ourselves. Is it enough just to express those behaviors and hope that people are going to perceive you as humble? It's not an easy question because 
it almost gets to the point where there is almost a philosophical discussion around this. For instance, is it possible for any human beings to be inauthentically humbled? How would that actually look like in the first place? Right? And I'll give you a couple of hints. In our research, when we ask these questions to people, a lot of the times we realize that when we ask people, do you remember your leaders acting authentically humble or inauthentically humble? People struggle to find specific examples for leaders acting inauthentically humble. It's almost, if you're acting humbly, people frequently associate that with, ah, that person must be a humble person in the first place. So this is kind of like the initial if you like the philosophical approach to what makes a, a humble behavior comes across authentic, there are a couple of things that leaders and or any individual to be more mindful of. And one of them is when we judge someone, so I look at the way that the leader acts or I look at the way that any individual acts and I call that, hey, you know what, this is humility. The way that I judge that is I look at how you acted in a specific event. And when we label individuals, then what we do is we basically gather this information. The information comes from how a specific individual acted in a certain circumstance and then build up that information, get to a point where I form the way that I assess your personality or your characteristics. And in that case, if you're a leader who consistently acts humbly or who consistently engaging in those behaviors, you're way more likely to be to come across as authentically humble. Another thing that is very central to authentic humility is um, the people who are observing your actions, they have to be able to tell like, hey, you know what? This is who that person is. And I know that that person values humility and it's not surprising to me when I observe that person acts humbly to be able to call that person, you know what, I knew it. He or she in that, in that situation is a humble person because he or she is actually acting consistent with what he or she values in the first place. And that person does it consistently across times. The interesting part there always is, imagine that you have been consistently acting humbly and there's one instance where you acted completely um, arrogantly, you name it. Then the question does become, is that event strong enough for me to judge my perception of you? Research says, if it is too strong, it may shape, shift the way that I perceive you. Um, but it is, it again depends on that consistency. If you have enough credits that help people to form how you are, then it's somewhat unlikely. I'm interested now to learn from you about where power plays might occur and, and what do they look like? Another great question you asked me. Um, this was one of the reasons why I was actually interested in studying humility in the first place. Was there any chance for us to understand whether or not leaders might not exploit the power differentials or the power differences that are so embedded in any relationship between leaders and subordinates or followers? And, and one of the interesting things about the humble leaders is as they um, lead by example where, hey, it's just like I'm not going to give you all those um, lower quality jobs and I will ask you to do them. I will actually sit together with you and we're going to do it together. By, by acting 
why engaging in those type of behaviors such that I reduce that power difference between me as a leader and you, I, in a way, humble leaders actually get rid of that power differential in the first place. And that's one of the reasons why it is so central for followers when they have humble leaders. It's perhaps that's, that's one of the reasons why it's not surprising that people feel less vulnerable in their relationships with their humble leaders. And this is important because, again, we were talking about this humility, authentic humility predicts followers feeling, followers feeling less vulnerable in their relationships with their leaders, which then translates in authenticity. And this is important largely because if, if I feel authentic, that means if I can be true to myself when I'm interacting with my leaders or in my workplace, 45% of the time I report better well-being outcomes, 25% of the time I'm more motivated to get my job done, and 20% of the time I'm more satisfied with my job. These may look small to you, perhaps in absolute terms, but in psychological research, these are huge numbers. Fascinating. Tell me more about what your research says about personal identity and power. Tough question. This one is tough. Largely it's tough because oh, I hope that you're ready for a journey. Um, this is not going to be a quick answer. The reason itself is it, it all goes back to this point of the way that we individuals identify ourselves in different situations. Put simply, I'm going to do my best to explain it in the simplest terms possible. We individuals, we identify ourselves at three different levels. Those three different levels are important because at each different level, we gain value. We just gain something by identifying ourselves in those particular ways. At the very bottom, there is the personal identity. So what are those characteristics as an individual that makes me different than the other people in the groups that I, I belong? And that me being different is one way that I gain value. But that's so crucial because me being different or me being me is what we basically call authenticity. The problem there is um, we are social animals. We live with other people. If I would be living alone on an island by myself, then perhaps the way that I identify myself would not be that important. But the moment you put me in groups of in groups with other people, then a, my personal identity becomes an issue for me to figure it out. A second issue becomes, I relate to other people in that group. And that's the relational identity. And what's important there is, I gain value by being a good relationship partner. And what that means is, what are the things that I do in that relationship to please my relationship partner? So here comes the biggest tension in any social psychological theory, it's at the center of it. As, as any human beings, early on in our childhood, and as we grow up and become adults, and even climb up the ladders in organizations, we frequently find ourselves at this tension. The tension arises from the point of, on one side, I want to gain value from being me, my personal identity, but by being me, I might act in ways that might actually risk social approval, disapproval from my relationship partner. So as, as, as individuals, if we end up acting in ways to please our relationship partners more so than being ourselves. 
So what happens at the end of the day is, by being less, I am, I'm, we probably need to do this again, but this is an important sentence to get correctly. I have less chance to be myself and then I give up too much to please my relationship partner. That would have tremendous detrimental effects on my authenticity. Bringing you back again on the, the scientific evidence, that means 45% of the time, if I report poorer well-being outcomes, we can, we can look at this tension and try to figure it out whether or not individuals, do they give up too much on their personal identity and try to gain a lot of value from their relational identity by pleasing their relationship partner. And if that is the case, we need to help those individuals to basically go back to who they are, do the reflection, do the identity work, and kind of gain more value from who they really are in the first place without depending too much on their relationship partners. Wow. So is there an organizational identity that we need to be conscious about? Is, is that all there is or is there more to it? Well, I wish that was all, uh, but it's not. There's, you're completely to the point, Yasmin. There's also this third level. If you recall, we were discussing personal relational identity. And it, on the top of our relationship sits what we call the group identity or collective identity. The individuals also gain value by being a member of a group that's frequently uh, performs well. So that I know that if I'm part of a successful group, I will feel safe in that environment and I gain value, some value out of that. So the problem then becomes is, of course, as, as individuals, there's us and then there are things that we do to please our relationship partners and there's our peers, colleagues, managers, supervisors, managers of our managers, and then there is this entity called organizations, right? I, I always just give you this example of there is Burak, and Burak, Burak, is, Burak has certain characteristics as a unique individual in general. That's the way that Burak wants to perceive himself. But then there's Burak as a lecturer. When you put Burak into a lecture theater, Burak perhaps shows different characteristics, different characteristics than how he is like in general, right? And in that, in that situation, he acts in ways perhaps to please his students. And perhaps he acts differently than what he is like in general. But then there's also Burak, Burak as an MBS employee. And being an MBS employee brings perhaps different characteristics out of Burak. And where you might feel like, okay, so there are social pressures, not only in my relationships, but also there are social pressures that might make me act in certain ways. And those social pressures do not necessarily come from the fact that I'm trying to please my relationship partners, but I'm trying to fit in and be part of a successful group, right? And in that case, as, as, as employees, if you like, our job is not easy. Right? Because every time, what again research says is, every time I deviate from my personal identity, from personally who I am, and if I do not necessarily embed those different identities that I create, different images of me, when I relate to other people or when I'm an MBS employee, what, what I do is, in a nutshell, I fake. 
consciously or unconsciously. So I act in ways that are not consistent with who I am. Do you know what is the problem with that? Imagine that humans are like an automobile and we have certain gas in the tank. Every time I fake, I consume some gas out of my tank. And if I fake too much, then I'm going to have little gas in my tank that I can use for other purposes in my organizational life. That's one of the reasons why authenticity is important for organizational context, because if I use most of my gas for faking the way that I am to fit in or to please my relationship partners at work, then I will be perhaps performing poorer because I don't have that those resources that I need to be able to perform better. Of course, probably the question that you would ask them, then how do I navigate this? Well, certain people will be more likely to give in, right? So there are one factor that we need to be more mindful of is the way we are as unique individuals, we might navigate these complexities differently. And some people need to be very mindful of finding those relationships where they feel safe so that they can be themselves and create an environment where they can act authentically. Because if that's not the case, and if there's um, those type of people who are more likely to please their relationship partners, such as agreeable people, then they will frequently find themselves tired at the end of the day because they're perhaps acting in ways that are not consistent with who they really are in the first place. So one thing that is extremely important is for individuals to create an environment where they relate to other people they relate to those people that they feel safe in their relationships. So giving in or pleasing that relationship partner is not a constant concern for them. But in the same time for organizations, how organizations can help their employees to be more authentic, it goes back to this, again, diversity and inclusion policies, right? And creating that psychologically safe environment where if I'm going to open my mouth, I don't have to think twice whether or not by saying something unique that would upset someone else in the group. So whatever you say or however you are will be accepted as a unique individual is extremely central to people's authenticity in organisations. Bringing it back to authenticity and humility, does a leader have to have individual, relational and organisational identities all working together? Is that what makes them out as a leader? Oof, tough question. They all are at work in the same time. So when we talk about different identities, it's not necessarily that you just... The easiest way to think about it is almost like putting on a costume. So And those costumes are different, right? The issue there is the moment you enter from the door of your organization, you bring all the costumes together. Then it's the part that is important there is, as a leader, which costume that you put on when you're interacting with other people in your work group, it literally depends on which costume you want to have or which costume would make that person feel more comfortable. To give you probably the quickest response to that is probably do not put your personal identity costume and just make other people become aware, hey, look, this is me and this is an important side of me as a unique individual and as a leader. Try to put your relational identity costume on because that will signal, hey, I'm here only to be a good relationship partner and I want to relate to you. And basically doing that would help you to be kind of become more approachable. Do you remember that was one of the things that the Eastern side of the world associates with humility? 
being approachable is one way to basically build that relational identity with your subordinates and welcome them. The other thing is with the collective identity, you may want to put that costume on as well. But the trick there is, again, whether or not that organizational identity um, enables people to relate to each other um, in, in, a, in a safe way, where people do not fear that they might be rejected in that group. Before we wrap up, I wonder if you might have any final pieces of advice for our listeners based on this idea of humility and leadership. A lot of the times when I teach managing people or humility or power or you name it, it's very interesting, in particular on leadership. Many of the things that people in the past have considered in terms of what makes people an effective leader, it literally boils down to two things frequently. It's all about, and in fact, I'm going to be even more stingy with my advice probably, it literally boils down to one thing, and that's about relating to people. As leaders, I, my biggest suggestion is please do not be afraid of making yourself vulnerable, making yourself or putting yourself in situations where other people around you can trust you. It's a very powerful tool, not only when you lead other people, so that they so that you create a more effective team but also you help those people that you're actually leading because you're making them feel safe and you're helping them to become more authentic and repeating again that not only has tons of implications for performance but also it has tons of implications for that person's well-being and i think that's perhaps the most important thing Burak, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with me and our listeners. Thank you. Thank you, Yasmin. To find out more about Burak's research, you can head to mbs.edu slash faculty and research. Melbourne Business School is home to Australia's best MBA and business analytics degrees, as well as short courses for professionals and custom solutions for organisations. Our purpose is unleashing ideas and leaders for a sustainable future. Visit mbs.edu to find out more. Until next time.